Welcome back to the Love Intently Podcast. I'm Sophie Kwok, your host, and our mission is to empower you to have a thriving relationship with yourself and everyone around you. This week's guest is a dear friend of mine, Alex Starr. We have been friends for, I think, the last five or more years. It has been really sad because I haven't seen him in the longest time since knowing him because of COVID, but I'm so grateful I got to record this conversation. Most couples I admire have told me that one of the best things they ever did for their relationship is keeping a weekly date night, regardless of what was happening in their lives. I love going on fun and unique dates, but I don't love planning them and neither does my partner. We both have so much going on in our lives, and even during a pandemic, we just don't have the time to do the research to come up with something we've never done together before. And this is why I am such a huge fan of the Adventure Challenge. It is a scratch-off book with 50 date ideas, so essentially for the price of one date, you get 50 dates, and they are all COVID-friendly. They are all pandemic-friendly. I know for us, planning these unique dates have been even harder during the pandemic. Some of you might be skeptical. My partner definitely was. He wasn't sure how legit the dates would be, but he became a quick lover of the adventure challenge after our first date. He immediately said that it was super fun and he couldn't wait to do our next date. They will let you know whether the date will be indoor, outdoor, if it'll be creative or chill, if it'll include food or the outdoors, all of these different factors so that you can pick one based on your mood. Did I mention that they have a friends edition and a family edition as well? So these are for you single people or people that have bigger families. You can do this with the entire family, which is incredible. You can get 10% off of your first order by using the code loveintently. L-O-V-E-I-N-T-E-N-T-L-Y, one word, and you can find the link to the Adventure Challenge in our show notes. If you do get an Adventure Challenge, be sure to tag us and let us know that you did. I cannot wait to see all of your incredible dates and all the memories that you get to create. Whether you are new to the Love Intently podcast or you have listened to every episode, if you haven't taken the attachment style quiz yet, you will want to. It only takes five minutes and is such a powerful tool in helping identify self-sabotaging behaviors and patterns in relationships. All you have to do is go to loveintently.com backslash attachment style. And yes, this quiz is free. Now, if you have taken the quiz and you're wondering, okay, what's next? How do I take this knowledge a little deeper? And actually create the relationship that you have always dreamed of, there are two ways of working with me. One, there's one-on-one coaching, and that is for people who are fresh out of relationships, single and looking in a relationship, or people who are currently in relationships and wanting support in evolving that relationship into something more of what they want. One-on-one coaching is special because it really meets you where you are and you get personalized high-touch access to me that you just don't get in the group program. In the group program, it is a super powerful container that will help you identify where you're self-sabotaging and empower you to create the relationships that you really want with yourself and the people around you. The group program is powerful in that you gain a community of people who also share a common goal. 
the friendships that you will build from this container will last a lifetime and it includes live coaching calls. So you do get access to me. You just don't get as much personalized access. In both the group coaching and one-on-one coaching program, I use a blend of mindset work, somatic and nervous system regulation practices, as well as inner child healing sessions. I find that to really create transformation, you need to connect the mind, the heart, the soul, and the body. And that is why I use a blend of a lot of different methodologies that I've found to be so impactful and transformational for me. There's nothing I'm going to have you guys try that I haven't tried before. And to ensure the quality of the group program as well as the one-on-one program, there is an application process because I am only taking people on who are really ready to transform their lives and relationships and willing to put in the work. There is work associated with creating this type of transformation And once you complete the application, someone will reach out to you and discuss if this is a really good fit for you in this season. If you have any additional questions, the easiest way to reach me currently is to find me on Instagram and DM me. You can find me at love.intently or at sofquawk. I am truly so excited to connect with more of you and to support you on your own journeys and yeah, if you do join either one of these programs, it's going to be a great time. Alex Starr is a former wildland firefighter and is now the host of the Rewrite the Rules podcast, which is all about sharing stories of those who have changed what they thought was possible for their relationships, work, and life. I have also been on that podcast and loved talking to him there. Be sure to check it out. He also authored Rewrite the Rules, a book that is all about an unconventional way to build an intentional life. It provides a framework to break free of the status quo, trust your instincts, and live a life you choose instead of the one that you've been told to live. In this episode, he shares all about his own experiences, and we dive into his transformation. He was super, super anti-commitment and he is now engaged. So that has been such a fun transformation to see in him. And he talks all about that. Alex is a super wise soul who has really done the work. So without further ado, here's our conversation. Hey, Alex, how are you doing? I'm doing good. What's up, Sophie? Welcome to the Love Intently podcast. Nice. Yeah, I'm excited to be on here. I wish that we could do it in person, but the next one, we've already done one in person, so that was cool. That was like two years ago, I think, by the way. That's insane. Yes, we've known each other for a minute. Yeah, yeah. It's probably been up almost, it's been almost four years because I moved here four years ago. And we met each other, yeah, and definitely in the first couple months of me moving here because I was like saying yes to everything. Oh, so that was your 30-day yes month. Probably, yeah, somewhere in there. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, it's been a backstory of how I know Alex is, um, I was speaking at an event and he happened to be in the breakout group session and that I was leading. 
And um, you've been like a huge instrumental part of why I even have this podcast. And you're one of those people that like really pushed me to do it, even though I was so terrified at first. So thanks for doing that. You got it. Good on you for actually making it happen. We all have to fight the resistance. Yes, fight the resistance. Yeah. So you just put out a new book, Rewrite the Rules, An Unconventional Way to Build an Intentional Life. Tell me about it and why has Rewrite the Rules been such an important motto for your life? Because down with the system, dude. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Um, when I was done with college, I was, you know, kind of just living life on like drugs or not, not drugs, but alcohol, like just alcohol, girls, parties. That's kind of what my life revolved around. It was very void of purpose. And, um, I basically had been following, I realized I'd been just kind of following the template my whole life of what you did. You went to high school in my family. It was just like, you go to college, very well-intentioned parents, of course, but everyone's just like following the script. And then after college, I was just, I was just empty. I just felt very, very empty. And then everyone was, of course, asking me the age-old question of what are you going to do next? What do you, what job are you going to get? What internship are you going to get? And um, yeah, I always had like a pull towards, uh, I never liked people telling me, I didn't like authority. I really had a disdain for authority from a very early age and more so people just like enforcing their beliefs on you and, and uh I just think the most important question people can ask is why, you know, well, why do we do it this way? Well, why do people live this way? Why do we eat this? Why do we eat this way? You know, and uh, all those questions that you're annoyed as, as a parent or like as an adult when like kids or other people ask you that stuff is all those questions I was really drawn to as a kid, you know, like, this is stupid. Why are we doing it this way? Like, especially in school, you know, all this stupid stuff. Like, I think a lot of people loved learning, but they hated school because it's like, you're going to learn this and this and this. Why? Because that's the way it's done. Well, uh, now, I, now I'm not, uh, now I know I don't need to listen to you then. So, um, basically I started, I, I joined AmeriCorps after college, which was like a domestic peace corps. From there, I became a wildland firefighter for three years. I started traveling. I basically kind of broke free of that. And then the book was this eventual like outlet of, I've always been a writer. I've always wanted to write one. And I really wanted to create a template from my own experience of breaking the, of kind of breaking out of the script and then talking to a hundred people on my podcast of, of people that I was meeting along the way that were doing it on their own. They were breaking the rules of, of their script, so to speak, and kind of going beyond the status quo, you know, like digital, you know, or millionaire entrepreneurs and people that were living in a van and polyamorous couples and all these people that were doing things different than the mainstream. Mm -hmm. And I just basically wanted to create like a, a guidebook or like a template that I wanted that I could have used when I was like 22 trying to figure it out of like, yo, there, there's a huge world out there and there's a lot of different ways to do this thing. And there's a ton of perspectives on, on why you should do it that way. And here's kind of like a framework you can follow if you're curious about, you know, living a, a different type of life or you're just not satisfied with the one that you're living right now and then outbirthed the book. Yeah, I love that. And I am all about empowering people to have intentional relationships and thus like an intentional life because exactly what you're saying if we don't take time to think about what we actually want and what our values are and how to live towards that, we just follow a template, like one that is predecided 
by society. And oftentimes that's not the one that brings us the most joy or happiness or fulfilled life. Look, there's there's a lot of people and in, in the market and society is more than happy to provide you with whatever life you choose. And it's also very happy to, like you said, give you the template for a life that you don't choose. And it will take you down the fucking current of the mainstream. Nothing against the mainstream. There's a lot of things I enjoy that are, you know, quote unquote mainstream, but it will be more than happy to just take you along in its journey, right? And everyone older than you is, I don't want to say under the spell, but everybody is a product of their environment and the system, right? Good or bad. Mm-hmm. And so your parents and your teachers, if you look at them, they have probably reinforced to you your entire life the script and the template, right? And unless you actively question it, question yourself, then yeah, you will just smoothly go along with that. And oftentimes, the current that is built is to profit certain corporations and individuals. Like a lot of the time, I feel like these templates are to serve like certain systems and certain profit. Higher powers. Yes. Higher higher, uh, vested interests in your, yeah, I know. And I'm so conflicted with that too, because I like, on one hand, I, I'm a capitalist in a lot of ways. You know, you're an entrepreneur. Like I have no problem with, uh, with that. I think when you have certain values and certain like milestones in, in our lives that then get corrupted mm-hmm. by the pursuit of money and it becomes extremely like concentrated, I guess. Right. So if you look at college as an example, mm. college is a great idea. Right, it's I, I think of it kind of like religion, right? Because my my fiance is Catholic, and uh, she's at church right now, and um, I go to church with her once in a while, and you know, the the teachings of Jesus are pure, but then a bunch of fucking grubby humans with their egos got involved and fucked it all up, and <laughs> yes. I, that, that's the way I look at it. And it's the same thing with college. It's the same thing with marriage, you know, it's the same thing with all these different things in your life you could look at and be like, what a great higher education to really like critical thinking and explore the world around you and meet new people. But then these corporations and vested interests come in and they fuck everything up because they extract more and more and more and more money from it, right? The banks get a ton of money from me and you piling on debt. They make trillions of dollars in in debt repayments and interest. So, Once that happens, then you're right. Then it's like, hold on a sec. These massive companies are now, with a lot of marketing material, are now pushing this system that they have a vested interest in this system continuing, right? In the way that it is, because they make a ton of money off of it. And then you're not sure if, like, I want to go to college, but I don't want the repercussions of that. And it's hard to know what is like what you really want to make happen in your life versus billions of dollars of marketing pushing you the other direction. Right. So what are some rules that you have, or you're currently rewriting in your life and that you have rewritten in your life? Oh God. Um, (laughs) every day. I mean, I mean, I think as we, as we grow those, those, like those rules completely shift, you know, I mean, if you take, uh, you know, 
I mean, even like my relationship is a huge one for me in the past, you know, year or two where I say I always had a rule and, and, and this is the interesting thing about your rules, right? Is usually those are associated with your story and your identity that you're telling yourself, right? Is like your unwritten rules, your unspoken rules to yourself. And a huge one for me was relationship based where from like 23 to 28, even like 22 to 28, I was single as can be. And I didn't, then what I told myself was I don't want a relationship and um, I want freedom. I want autonomy. I I don't want the C word for me was for sure. Commitment. I don't even (laughs) want to think about that. And, uh, and that was, that was what I told myself. And, and for a while it was true. It doesn't mean it was a bad thing. I really didn't want the commitment. Right? Yeah. I you were to be single. You were so apprehensive about relationships and commitment <laughs> when we first met, like it was, you could see the terror in your eyes when that word was <laughs> spoken. <laughs> I know the terror in my eyes. That's a good way to put it. Um, yeah, no, no, that, that, that is a good way to put it. I was, um, I really didn't want it at you know at first but then it then it became a part of who I was as a person right and then every wedding I would go to that were my friends weddings you know I wouldn't get a plus one because I was Alex the single guy and all of my friends girlfriends and wives were always trying to set me up with their friends because I was Alex the single guy that would come through and sleep on the couch for a couple nights <laughs> and bounce out with my backpack to the next you know dusty town kind of thing and so then when I came up when I met my fiance Ashley and I was ready for a relationship, but then I had, I really had to rewrite the script and the rule in my head of, no, you're the single guy who's scared of commitment or who doesn't want to be committed. So then I had to slowly rewrite that within myself um, with the help of like a lot of walks in nature, a lot of uh, some shrooms thrown in there really helped, you know, to kind of cut to the core of, hey, this is who I was in the past and this was the rules I was following, but it doesn't mean I have to continue to follow those same ones into the future. Yeah. What made Ashley different? Like what made her worth doing the work to rewrite that in yourself? What made you want to? I mean, first of all, I was ready, you know, and Ashley and I talk about this where it's like, there were probably girls that I met along the way that I could be in a good relationship with, to be honest, you know, but just because it's the right person at the wrong time means that it's not the right person. You know, it has to be both. It has to be the right person at the right time. So I think first of all, the timing was right. I'd finally allowed myself. So I had a wedding coming up in Hawaii, uh, like two years, two or three years ago, there's my buddy was getting married in Hawaii and like a year before that wedding. So this was probably like, yeah, I guess we've been together three years. So this was probably like three and a half years ago where I said, um, I want to take somebody that I actually care about to the wedding. I don't want to go to Hawaii by myself. And I was like, I was just kind of saying like, I'm, I'm open to taking like to, to carry enough about somebody that I want to take, that I'd want to go to Hawaii with them for a week to a friend's wedding, which is like, that's not, you don't, that's not somebody that you just grab someone off the shelf and like go to Hawaii <laughs> with for a week to your friend's wedding with your entire family and everybody there. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so once I put that out there, I was finally open the timing was now right. And I was like kind of putting that out there. And then she came along and the, you know, Ashley is, um, she's extremely good with, uh, just people in general. Mm-hmm. And she's like, amazing. Yeah. And, um, so I think she recognized that either consciously or subconsciously right off the bat that if she pushed me 
at all. I was running to the hill so fast. I was I would be out of there in a New York minute. You give me one reason to not commit, and I'm fucking there. And um, so she just didn't she didn't pressure me at all for anything. She didn't pressure me to be boyfriend girlfriend. She didn't pressure me. You know, even when we were eventually, you know, when I put the ring on her finger, she she never has pressured me for anything. And that's what has made me want to continue, you know. And obviously, there's a million other things I love about her. But I mean, like, the subconscious script I had, it allowed me to, like, continue the relationship and for us to continue it because she never triggered that response of like, this is, you're, you're pushing against my independence and freedom. I'm out of here. She never once pushed on that. And there were so many times that she could have. And that's what kept it going. Yeah. So she was, this is like a classic example of she was extremely secure. And if you would have been dating someone who had a more anxious attachment style, like that would have for sure triggered your avoidant attachment style, I think. And I think like that is a perfect example of when you're secure, it empowers people, other people who you're dating, whether they're anxious, avoidant, whatever, to be secure also. For sure. Yeah. And I was not, and I think she was coming off of a relation relationships too, where she had been a little too, um, a little too anxious to use your wording. And so we just met at the right time where I had come off of a few incidents we'll call them of just like <laughs> um where there was a common thread between them of like of, of of girls who seemed to be i thought i'd set expectations clearly but then they emotionally at the end of our relationship responded in a way that they were much more emotionally invested than i was even though i thought i had at least like i had i, I think i had expressed that through my words clearly but i also probably did other things that that um, were signs to them that like my words weren't matching up with my actions. I mean, it's classic guy and girl stuff to be, you know, very stereotypical. Mm-hmm. And anyway, that, like after the third incident that happened, I was like, okay, the, the only common variable here is me. There's something I'm doing that's causing this. You know what I mean? And so I think I was coming off of that. So I was like overly communicative. I was overly really trying to like have my actions and my words line up. And then she was coming off of like being a little too like not aggressive, but like anxious, like you were saying. And so she was coming into it with like, whatever happens, happens. I'm not going to pressure anybody anymore. I'm just going to let it ride. And I think she calls it like I toned down my crazy. (laughs) Um, And so we were able to meet in the middle. Yeah. I love that. I, I'm like, man, in the future, I'm going to have both of you on here sometime to like talk about that journey. Cause I remember just distinct conversations, both with you and her through the last few years and like the evolution of it. And it's, I've just been, I remember being like jaw dropped not because I didn't think you had it in you, but I was just like surprised that you moved in with her as quickly as you did. And I mean, it had been like a, I mean, maybe a year or two, but I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so excited for you. And I just like knew that if you were making that change, that she was like very, very different. Like, I don't even think I had met in the years that I had known you a single other chick that you had like been talking to because you just didn't do that. <laughs> no. Yeah, no, and it's true. I um, They were definitely... um 
we had more, uh, it, it, they were 10 PM to 2 AM relationships, you know, mm-hmm. they, they weren't, um, it's like, what's that movie with Justin Timberlake and, uh, Mila Kunis. What's that movie? No strings Friends attached or Friends with Benefits. Is that there? Yeah. Yeah, theirs. I think so. And um, Woody Harrelson plays the gay friend of of Justin Timberlake. And there's this great scene where they're playing basketball and they're talking about love and stuff. And Woody Harrelson says, you know, it's not who you want to spend Friday night with. It's who you want to spend all day Saturday with. Mm. And that line's always stuck with me for whatever reason, partly because I love Woody Harrelson. But it's also just a really good line, you know, and that was kind of a shift. There was a lot of people I was spending Friday night with, so to speak. But I don't want to, I didn't want to hang out Saturday or Sunday. Mm. And this one, then I found somebody who I'd want to do both with. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's, that's a really good, uh, like checkpoint. And it's like, do I want to spend all day Saturday, like all weekend with him? Or is it like really just these few hours? Cause I think that tells you a lot. It really does. Yeah. Especially right now with the past year. I mean, like we were talking about before the show, I think that's why so many people this year have either gotten divorced or broke up or doubled down and got engaged. Those are the two sides I'm seeing. I'm sure you are too. A lot of engagements, a lot of people um, committing. And then I know a lot of people who have broken up, you know, and have realized that this isn't the person that they want to be spending this much time with because it's, it's just been such a magnifier of the things that you already had in your life. Yeah, because you don't have the, I mean, we talked about this previously, you always joke about how insane my schedule was pre-pandemic. And I think in that instance, it's like I had so many distractions to like not, that could keep me from looking deep within that. Um, And I think without that, without events, without all the happy errors and all the stuff that I was doing, it forces you to look at the things that are present in your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, it's, uh, it'll be interesting to see how it goes, how it goes forward from here because yeah, it, you really did start to realize, at least I did. I, I realized how much I was running around, even though I didn't realize how much I was running around before. Yeah. Same. Right. Yeah. I bet you were. Yeah. Yeah. What's I wrong? bet you were. Yeah. <laughs> What's ironic? Miss, miss is, no gaps in my calendar. That is not true. What's so funny is that was allergic very true. to blank space. So <laughs> that was so true. The first, I would say, like two years that we knew each other, but it has not been true for the last two years. I think. Oh, good. Calm down a little bit. Well, especially the past year, obviously. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's been way calm. I mean, it was. Yeah, it's. It has not been that crazy. You just haven't hit me up in a while. <laughs> Ouch. Ouch. So something that you talk about in the book that I, the that part that really stuck with me or one of the parts is how our answers and our happiness like cannot be found in a partner, not a new book, not money. And those things can maybe bring you happiness for a moment, but they're definitely not things that you can have long-term. And ultimately they're things that we need to find within ourselves. What is the moment that you realize that, or was there a moment and how has this been true for you? I think it, it, it shows itself. Um, every time I spend time with myself, it shows itself over and over and over again. Mm. And I, I think when I first took that step into really, when I first took that step into AmeriCorps and then, um, 
through that, there was, there was just a lot of time spent, you know, we were on like a ranch outside of Texas. Um, one of the projects that we did, you do four projects. The first one was, um, I was literally staying at a cabin in a, in Lake George, Colorado. And I was in a cabin of like five guys and we were by this river, probably a mile from the nearest like building, um, down this back country road near this beautiful mountain river. So I just started spending a lot of time by myself, you know, and in college, right. You're, I lived with five people in the same house in college and I drive and go to school and we had parties. So there really wasn't a lot of, of real like introspective time. So then to be thrown into that and to have a lot of time by myself and especially in nature, nature always triggers it for me. And I think a lot of people is, uh, is where you just find the truth with, you know, it sounds, it sounds cheesy, but you do find the truth within yourself. You know, one of my favorite lines, um, is, you know, I went searching for God and I found only myself. And so I searched within myself and I found only God and you can replace God with the universe or love or nature, whatever you want to use for that, uh, verbiage there. But there's there a lot of truth in that, you know, and, and you only find it when it's, when it's quiet and by yourself and you realize that, you have everything you need. You really do, you know, and the rest of the world is designed to tell you that you don't. Mm-hmm. Because if you can buy their thing that will give you what you need. Once again, yeah, I don't want to be this anti-capitalist person because I am, I do enjoy capitalism. I think, Same. That, and I, yeah, um, but yeah, the marketing is based on making you feel inadequate in some sense of your life and then giving you the solution to that problem. A lot of times problems that they create to sell you the solution, mm-hmm. right? You're, you're doing fine. You're doing great. You see an ad with somebody that's driving down the, the road in a nice car and a good suit and you go, damn, look, I'm in my sweatpants right now. Even if it's not conscious, right? Maybe I should go get some new, I need to get some new clothes. Suddenly that plant, that little seed is planted in your mind of something you need to go buy. And so when you're in the world, when you're in the, the marketplace and the external, then you will get caught up in, in the external, which in our, in our current society is, is you know, a capitalistic uh, consumerism-based society. 70% of our GDP is based on consumer behavior and consumer action, 70%. So, um, the minute that you take yourself out of that, even just for a little bit of time, you start to realize, well, this is all bullshit. You know, it's like, that's why I think I mentioned this in the book. I think I should have spent more time on it that I think about it now, but that's the reason why psychedelics, I believe this strongly, it's the shrooms and ayahuasca and LSD and, and even marijuana to a certain extent, like it doesn't fit with the paradigm of society. When you take those substances, you realize how much you don't need because you have so much already. And so why would a, a consumer-based society that's literally built around the fact of making you feel inadequate, why would they make substances legal that all they do is show you how adequate you currently are mm. and how much you don't need, right? It doesn't fit. It doesn't fit. And so I don't think that those will ever become legal until that that, that, that would signify a massive, massive shift in our structure of our society because it just doesn't match up. I also think it's so much about the environment that that's taken in um, because with something like shrooms, you could easily take it and go to a party, like depending on the dosage or whatever. And you'd get a very different experience than if you sat by yourself. And so I think there's also that part of it is like, not only is 
making it available is one thing, but the education around the intention and how to set it up to where you're getting those insights and even desiring that. Cause there's people that just take it cause they want to have a good time, not because they want to deal with their own shit. Like that's a very good point. That, that's a very good point. And I would, I would say that to that point, that wouldn't symbolize any change because all that we would be doing is, excuse me, we would be incorporating that substance into the already existing framework to just amplify the existing framework of consumerism, right? If you're taking, yeah, like you said, if you're taking it to party, then there's no shift happening. You're just using it to magnify what's already what's already going on, right? Um, so that's that's a really good point. The the intention behind imbibing those substances. Why do you think internally or looking internally is one of the last places people want to look? Like, why do you think it's scary? We avoid it so much, though. Why is it so scary? Because life is scary. Life and love is a is a very heavy load. Uh, there's a song by uh, I forget their name of the band, but that's one of their lines in their songs. And uh, yeah, I think I think there, there's a you know like philosophers throughout time have always talked about like there, we have we have a lot of good in us, and then there's also there's a dark side to everybody, right? And you no one wants to confront that dark side of us, and we don't want to confront mistakes everyone every single person has made mistakes in the past we've we've hurt people from our words we've hurt ourselves from things and uh why confront those especially in the way that we the things that we have at our resource at our at our disposal right now which we don't have a lot of things at our disposal right we don't have like what you could do is like if you were in a community where you went and did a sweat lodge every year and you, you know, talked through a lot of those things and you like release them um, on a healthy way. That's one thing. But in our society, we don't have a lot of those things at our disposal. So a lot of people, the only option really is, okay, on one side, I can go confront those very, very uncomfortable truths about my past, present and future, which is I, I, like, do I want to do that? No. Do I know I need to do that sometimes? Yes. Right. But if when I think about doing that, I have Instagram that can call my name. I have Netflix that can call my name. I have going out with friends to the bar that can call my name. I have this distraction, this distraction, this distraction, this thing, this thing, this thing, this thing. I can run around to five different events that are going on and I can just never confront that. Um, then I'm going to choose that all day. Yeah, which if I'm being honest, when I first met you, I probably was doing that to some degree. And the year and a half after, I would say like around... 2018 to 2019, I burnt out so intensely. And that's when I really? really did. Yes, I was so burnt out. I mean, last year, even in 2019, I said no to a lot of events. I said no to a lot of, there were a few speaking things I just straight up said no to because I was like event allergic. I went to like the bare minimum. Um, as far as like, produced events. I still like showed up for friends' birthdays and stuff. That was different. But things that I had to be quote unquote on for, I just was exhausted. And it was because I had been running around and doing things that I felt like I should be at or um, speaking at, I think oftentimes takes a lot of energy. And that was something that I had to take a hard look at. It was like, 
there are some that are really worth it and then a lot of events that also aren't. And so how to differentiate between the two. Um, but what I love about what you said is also, I think a part of looking inward and finding those answers within is it is a practice. It is something that becomes easier the more that you do it and is more terrifying the, the less that you do it. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. Yeah. And I think what's hilarious is there was, there's a guy in town who's like a really good photo- uh, videographer and he and I and Zach Corvath were talking and that was something that I had mentioned that I was like, you already know the answer to this. It's within you. And he was like, no, I don't. I need to go and experience more things and I need to blah, blah, blah. And he was so almost offended that I said that. Like he was just like, he posted this thing on his Instagram story and was just like, people keep saying the answers are from within, but they're not. I feel like experiences and all these things give you the answers. And I feel like that's kind of like an early 20s mentality is you just feel like you don't have enough or that you haven't seen enough, which there's like validity to that. But I think ultimately at the end of it all, you realize the answers have always been there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they play off each other too, right? I mean, your experiences mold your perception of yourself and the world and your place in it. And then from that new revised version of yourself, you go and have other experiences that reflect to you and you learn from, and you start creating these answers that you know from your experiences and your experiences do the same thing in return, you know? So it's, it's like kind of like a dance that you do your entire life of, of creating that. But yeah, at the end of the day, I would say that the, the, the internal always, it always, I don't say wins, but it's always the one more in control and the one that you should focus on first, because I'm sure you've been here before where, you know, a perfect example of this is, um, if you've ever been in a bad mood or just, if you've ever not been a hundred percent ecstatic on a vacation mm. is a direct example of that. Like the external clearly doesn't fit. Even though, once again, I fall into this trap almost every time that I think, you know, I'm, it's going to be a hundred percent paradise when I'm doing this trip or doing this, but it's just not the case. Right. And how many celebrities do we know that are completely addicted to drugs or have died from overdoses that were living the dream, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So clearly, clearly the external and, and, and experiences is not the most important thing. It is a massive factor in the contentment and happiness of life, but it only comes, you can only experience the experience in the right way if your internal landscape is somewhat in cohesion. Right. I think ultimately joy and happiness is a choice. Like it's not something, yes, there are life circumstances, you know, like trauma and tragedy that can happen. But I think day to day, like when your life, like day to day life, ultimately you get to choose your mood, your attitude around life, you're choosing gratitude, all of that impacts happiness. And it's, I think happiness is something that we choose rather than something that happens to us. Mm. Do you think that the things that happen to you 
it, they would influence your perception and then your perception would influence the things that are happening to you? I think they could, but ultimately, regardless of what's happening, I think you could still choose mm -hmm. joy. Mm -hmm. Or at least choose uh, to see some, it's like, um, what's that? Man's search for meaning, you know, that, that Holocaust survivor writes about all of his experiences. And I'm not sure if he was choosing joy, <laughs> but he was definitely choosing a perspective of uh, seeing some type of value or purpose within his dire, dire circumstance. So the reason I even know about the Adventure Challenge is because Raina, an incredible part of our team, shared about it. So I wanted her to share about her experience with the Adventure Challenge. So why do you love the Adventure Challenge? I love the Adventure Challenge because it gives us planned quality time together that we don't have to think about. So we just have these like really cool adventures that get us outside of our comfort zone and challenge us to be together in just a different way. So they're always like creative and just things we wouldn't think about that make it so beautiful and just beautiful experiences. And what was it about the Adventure Challenge that made you want to get it initially? Initially, I got it because for the holidays, we always try to give gifts of experiences because they're way more valuable than buying like a material object for us. And so I got it with the idea that like, oh, this will be fun. Like it'll give us ideas for dates and stuff. And it's so much more because it's this scrapbook. It's capturing all of our memories and it's giving us these wonderful, fun ideas of things to do and just overall like building our communication even stronger and our relationship stronger. Who do you think would benefit from the Adventure Challenge? Like who would you recommend getting the Adventure Challenge? I would recommend the Adventure Challenge to any couples that want to do it, but there's also options for families and friends. And I think it's for people who want to step out of their comfort zone and challenge themselves. So maybe they're people who like a plan, but also like adventure. And this allows that because it's ensuring something's going to happen because it gives you the details of your date before you go. But then it's also allows you to have that piece of like, oh, what are we going to do? And that excitement. So I did, I would suggest this for somebody who wants to step out of their comfort zone and grow with their partner or family or friends. So if you're interested in getting your own adventure challenge book, whether it's friends edition, family edition, or couples edition, or even their advent calendar then be sure to go to theadventurechallenge.com and use the code loveintently for 10% off. And that is loveintently, L-O-V-E-I-N-T-E-N-T-L-Y. You can find the link to the Adventure Challenge in our show notes, or you can go to theadventurechallenge.com. A story that you share in your book that I loved was your first miscut when you were a rookie wildlife firefighter. Can you talk about that story? Yeah. So, um, this was, yeah, my, my first year and we were in the forest of Colorado. It was mid January. The snow was falling. There was probably a foot of it on the ground and we were going through and thinning the, the forest because there was a fire that was coming through. And at this time, we would go through and um, part of uh, wildland firefighting crew, for people who aren't familiar, 
you have like 20 people on the crew and uh, usually two of them, two to four are what are called Sawyers. And so you're the ones that have the chainsaws. You walk in front of everybody else because you're the ones cutting stuff down first. Um, and it's kind of this like, you, you, everyone kind of wants to be the Sawyer, but then when you're the Sawyer, you're like, this is great, but I'm also carrying an extra 40 pounds. So I don't know if I really want this that bad. But anyway, I happen to be pretty decent at cutting down trees. And so um, I was going to go cut down this probably 80 foot pine tree. You know, it's probably like, I don't know, two to three feet wide. And it's, this one was a little bit bigger, but um, they're, they're big bastards. <laughs> so uh, you get used to doing it, you know, but there's still always a little bit of trepidation that comes from cutting down an 80 foot massive pine tree by yourself. So I start to make the cut and um, you make a pie cut on one side. It's kind of like you take out, imagine like literally a pie slice out of one side of the tree in the direction that you want it to go. And then you get on the other side of the tree and you make a horizontal cut. And that usually is going to tip it over in that direction, right? Mm -hmm. Usually goes pretty smoothly. This particular day had a tree that was basically straight up and down, which are the scariest ones because you can't really tell which way it's going to go. You're almost just guessing. Like when there's a lean on it, you can say, cool, it's going to go that way. When it's straight up and down, it's anyone's guess. There were This day there was snow coming in, so there was a good wind. So anyway, I start making that back cut, uh, hoping that it's going to go the direction I want. And I look up and a breeze picks up and it basically, my chainsaw is in the tree and then the entire weight of that tree pinches the blade in the tree. So now I'm sitting there with the one tool that I had to cut down the tree is now pinched under 50,000 pounds of weight, whatever it is. And it's just stuck. And now it's halfway cut and I'm, it could fall any minute. And I got like people over there, people over there. I'm underneath it, obviously. And I'm just like, holy fuck, this is a terrible situation. So my captain, he gives me his chainsaw. I do the same thing on the other side of the tree and I eventually get it to go down. But the whole, the whole situation just really kind of just rattled me a lot. And, uh, we went and like, kind of got some food and stuff. We had, we had some, we, we, we sat down and had some lunch and, um, and I was just, I was just like, fuck, what am I doing? Like, I, I almost killed myself there. I could have killed somebody else. Um, I really don't want to do this anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, I really like someone else just take the chainsaw at least for the day, but maybe forever. Cause it was just sketchy, you know, uh, just one of those moments. And, um, my captain came up to me and said, Gra- star, grab your chainsaw. And I was like, motherfucker. <laughs> He's like, come with me. And, and the captain too, I really, I want you to picture like, okay, that, let me ask you this, Sophie, who do you picture in your head? Uh, you read the book, I guess. But like when you picture a wildland firefighter captain, like what do you usually picture? Some like burly big yeah. dude. This, that's it. His name was Russ, and he had this literally like a ZZ top beard, literally Copenhagen in his mouth nonstop, mm-hmm. which is chew. You know, yeah. people don't know chewing tobacco. Um, just like this lumbering, like fifty year old, like lumberjack dude. Exactly who you would imagine. Star, get your chainsaw. Come with me. <laughs> uh, you know, and you can't say no, right? You know, you can't be like, oh, I'm not really feeling it anymore, Russ. <laughs> so it's like, oh, okay, okay. So we go and, um, he basically made me find a bigger tree than the one that I fucked up on and made me cut that one down. And it was the same thing. It was straight up and down and it was huge. And he was like, you're going to, okay, now cut this one down. And to say that I didn't want to do it is a complete understatement. Like, I mean, I really was like, I'm going to kill myself, you know, I'm going to kill him. 
And that next one, I just kind of like, somehow I like zoned in and excuse me, I cut it down and it went exactly where I wanted it to go. And, uh, he didn't even like saying, he's just like, he, he, he walked by and just like patted me on the back and was like, good work and walked away. And, but it was just like this very pivotal moment for me where I, I totally, without his guidance, I totally would have just backed up into the corner and just in my head the rest of the day and real, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm scared. I'm going to kill somebody. And him forcing me to do that, just getting right back on the horse, a bigger horse immediately after completely shifted the rest of that day. It shifted the rest of my career as a firefighter. And it really did make me realize that like, oh my God, when you, when you fuck something up, like you have to go do the same thing, probably bigger and, and, and redo it. Wow. And that is, I mean, I will say failure, like the fear of failure is one of the biggest reasons people don't go after the things they really want. And especially if they fail a first time, I have seen so many people run the opposite direction of whatever they're doing. And so that lesson of going in and doing it again immediately after on a bigger tree is is almost like so counterintuitive and not something any ever I feel like most people be like, okay, you can take the day off and like maybe try again later kind of thing. Right. A hundred percent. And myself included. I do this I would do the same thing a lot of times in my life too. But like it's like if you if you ask somebody out, you know, at the bar or whatever or at a party and they said no, you should immediately go ask three more. You know, it's like that kind of stuff, right? If you you I think one of the examples I used is like if you don't get the job you should go apply for three more that are even like better positions or with better companies, you know, and just, yeah, keep on reinforcing that fact, you know, now I I definitely don't do this with all the stuff in my life at all. Mm -hmm. You know, (laughs) this is just like, it's like a, uh, it's like a, an ideal to try and live up to, Mm -hmm. you know, of just like acting. I think even just taking a small, even like if you just, you know, if you like, if you miss that final shot, you know, it's like asking the coach if you can, if you can start the next game, you know, like just taking some small action in spite of you fucking up is so profoundly powerful because of what you just said. Like it's completely counterintuitive. It's almost like whatever your brain says you should do and what, what like your the small part of yourself wants to do is you have to override that and be like, okay, I'm going to do the exact opposite of that because I know that that's like the fear and the resistance coming in to keep me down and keep me in my box. And so I consciously have to say like, okay, what is it telling me? Oh, I, did I, I shouldn't play basketball ever again? Perfect. I'm going to ask the coach if I can start next game then. That's hard to do. Yeah. A point that you made in the book is it's about redefining the meaning of failure because I think the fear of failure is inherently in us because it's there to keep you alive. It's there to, um, I mean, socially even, it's there to keep you from facing rejection because previously in Sapiens, they talk about this, how that would have been super detrimental to you if you were rejected by society. But now that's not the case with most things in life. And so I think it's really about redefining what failure means rather than trying to get rid of the quote unquote fear of failure. Mm-hmm. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Because, um, yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Cause I mean, that fear isn't going to go away of anything, mm-hmm. right? 
So how do you know the difference between the, in, your instincts trying to protect you from real danger versus fear? Like just fear that it's a moment to push through. There's no formula for that because every situation and every person and every context is going to be different for sure. I think, um, I think deep down everybody knows to a certain extent, but like I said, I mean, you can only know that if you get quiet enough for a long enough time to let the whisper be heard and to let it build up enough strength for you to really listen to it. You, everyone knows. I, I really think that, you know, I think we just don't give us ourselves enough space to hear what we already know. Yeah, I think that's true. And just because it's like, I think another a huge point here too is like, just because like my intuition was saying I need to ask Ashley out or my intuition was telling me like, like it was telling me when I needed to do AmeriCorps to begin with, or it was, it's been, it tells me stuff all the time, but all of those things also included fear involved in it. Like, it doesn't mean that just because it's like your intuition's telling you something that it's like, oh my God, there's the, the road paved with, with roses, you know? And like that it's not, it's somehow not going to be a struggle or it's not going to have fear attached to it. Most likely the thing that you know you should do is going to have the most fear attached to it or the most resistance to it. Right. But it's not going to have anything attached to like fear of dying. You know what I mean? Or it's, it's going to be a fear of uh, maybe putting yourself out there a fear of, yeah, fear of failure and all these different things. They're probably going to be attached to the thing that you know you need to do the most. So good. Because if they weren't, then you would have already done it. Yep. Yep. Right? And, I'm, and I speak to myself mainly with that. <laughs> yeah. What is something you wish more people knew about you or something that maybe people often get wrong about you? I don't know. I think, honestly, I think the book was a huge thing because a lot of people, a lot of people didn't know that um, I could write. You know, mm. and I was almost showing to myself that I could, I've always been a writer, but I'd never put it really out there. And so I think, uh, one thing people don't know about me that I feel like I get a lot of like, like, did you do that is, is through my writing. Like whenever I put like a, a even like a poem kind of type thing on Instagram or with the book, the most common response I've gotten from the book is like, Hey man, uh, I don't want, I don't want you to take this the wrong way, but like, it was really good. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, what do you, what do you mean? I don't know. I just, you know, just, I thought it was gonna, I didn't know what to expect, but I just wasn't expecting it to be that good. Um, cause most people just didn't know that I could write or that, that kind of creative part of, of me. Cause we all have kind of like perceived personas online and, and with your friends and stuff. And then you have these other sides to you. So I think that's been a big one lately. Um, that's been cool to see like that reflected back of like, Oh, cool. Like, what I think I'm decent at, other people are telling me they enjoy as well. That's interesting because you've always been a writer in my head because that's something we talked about, I feel like. Oh, okay. Even the first or second time we mm -hmm. spoke. And I mean, yeah, I knew Kate went into reading your book knowing that, and I still was impressed. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> Which is awesome. It is a really good read. And it's, I think, especially during everything that we collectively have been experiencing, 
it's a good room. And there's been so much fear, I think, circulating in media for of a number of different things, not just coronavirus. It's a good reminder that we can choose our life intentionally and how to get over certain fears, whatever they have evolved into. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, 100%. Yeah, no, I appreciate that too. That it. Yeah, yeah I appreciate that. <laughs> Where can people find and support you? Uh, yeah. So obviously, um, you know, if you want to join, I put out a weekly, um, a weekly newsletter. Um, I also am doing, if you, if you go to alexstar.com slash Sophie, um, I will have an offer on there to do a free book plus shipping and handling for your listeners. Um, so they can go there and then, um, you know, check me out on Instagram as Alex eight star. I do most of my postings and stuff on there. Yeah, and we will link everything in show notes. That's super kind, a super, super kind offer. So thanks. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And the book is called Rewrite the Rules. Yeah. And so if you go on Amazon or Barnes and Noble, you can search for it there. Would love to hear, especially your listeners, what they thought. So if you if you read it and you liked it, tag me on Instagram, uh, message me on there. Would love to hear, you know, your main takeaways from it or what you would have liked to have seen more of. Hmm. Well, before we move on to the last few questions, I just want to take a moment to acknowledge you, Alex. Uh, thank you so much for just everything that you do in the world. And you've been an incredible friend to me over the last few years and helping me take the leaps of faith and like getting over my fear of certain big goals that I've had, this podcast being one. And I know that you'll continue to do that in the future. So thanks for being who you are and sharing your light and love to the world. Thanks. Oh, that's so sweet of you. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's been amazing being your friend for the past four years, which is crazy. Yeah, it is crazy. What are three truths about life or love that you live by? Judge people by their intention sometimes instead of their actions. Um, that's a huge one. Don't resist. I think a lot of times with our emotions, and we have bad feelings and we don't want the bad feelings to be there. So we immediately try to fix it to become good feelings. And you spend your whole life either scared the good feelings are going to go away or trying to make the bad feelings become good feelings. And I think by embracing or accepting those feelings is a, 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 major, a major truth that you can live by. Just accept acceptance. Um, and the third thing is that I always, yeah, that I kind of live by is um, kind of like the the learn like you'll live forever, but but live like you're going to die today kind of mentality. And that balance, I think that's Buddha or one of those guys, um, <laughs> but just kind of balancing that out, you know, like live life you're going to live for, live like you're going to die tomorrow is is like a yeah don't don't be living in fear, live in that place of wanting to pursue those experiences and that adventure and, and being good to other people and um, being good to yourself and, and taking that, taking those risks, being bold, you know? Um, but then also, you know, uh, don't spend all your money on, on a first class ticket that you can't afford and doing a live, living, learning like you're going to live forever and doing those things, but then also just moving past those fears and then going into a bold place. Like you're going to die tomorrow. Mm, so good. What is the best relationship advice you have ever received or could give? Oh my goodness, man, you have really good questions. <laughs> um, 
You know, my parents have been married for 30 years and uh, I've been blessed to be able to see a relationship that is solid and strong and it's been going on for 30 years and I can genuinely say they're both happily married. And two things that I've taken from them, one is that, you know, they said at the very beginning that if they didn't, they had my sister like within six months or a year of, of them getting married. And if they hadn't had my sister, they might've gotten divorced because they just were not in a good place, but they, they decided to kind of stick it out because they had the baby together. So one, it taught me how like temporary setbacks and emotions don't always signify long-term detriment or success. Like they're serious, they're so happily married now. And the other thing they told me too, is they said, I was asking them one time when I was home, I was like, you know, we were talking about relationships and I was like, 30 years is so long and da da da. And they said, you know, the biggest thing is that like, it's not like once in a while we didn't have like a crush for somebody else or find somebody else attractive or like have a sparkle in your eye when you meet somebody else once in a while. Like that stuff's never going to go away as a human, but like you, you just made a commitment to this other person and you love this other person in that way. And so you, um, you know, just choose them over those temporary things. And every relationship looks different how you decide to do that in your own. But that was a huge one for me. It was almost like they just allowed each other to like take the pressure off of being a human to just be like, oh, we're committed to the marriage. Yeah, yeah, they were cute. I had kind of crush on them for a week or that person, you know, they like, you know, kind of had that feeling with somebody else at a party for a second, but like, you know, that's normal and we're not going to like feel bad about that. And we're still married and we're committed to each other. Mm. Yeah, that's so true. And lastly, what does love or love intently mean to you? I mean, it makes it just makes me think of you, to be honest. Love intently <laughs> just make you think of you with the name. <laughs> um, I guess uh, the same thing that, like, I mean, it's funny that you have love intently, and my subtitle is intentional. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just directing your life and your love in the direction of your choosing as opposed to other people's and society's direction. Thanks so much for listening, y'all. If this episode resonated with you, be sure to share it with a friend. You could impact someone's life who is in a rut and looking to rewrite the rules in their life. Someone who has just been sticking to what societal norms and, you know, are, is miserable and is looking for a change. This episode could really help them transform their life. And you could be that friend today. And it also helps us share more love with more people, which I'm obviously all about. And lastly, get his book. I was so impressed with his book and there were definitely some really powerful nuggets that I took out of it. I know that for me, it's really easy for me to just go in the flow of whatever society wants and to just follow after that if I'm not intentional about forming my life the way that I really want it. And his book was just such a powerful reminder of ways to do that. I'm always trying to be more intentional in my day-to-day life so that when I look back 20 years from now, I can acknowledge and know that every mistake and all of the amazing things that happened happened intentionally and that I don't have this life 
that I'm like, wait, I didn't really want any of that and unintentionally live a life that I never wanted. So that's what I love about this book and I think you should get it.